whenever you're whenever you're securing services of someone to that will touch you know the lives of your employees and their families you want them to have the right the right baseline of understanding and the right relationship so i approach them as vendor partners and and make sure that they understand fully uh, our vision our values uh, our the, the way we like to interact with our employees and the kind of experience that our employees that we want them to have. Welcome to Broken Benefits. I'm your host, Lee Lewis, and this is a podcast where we learn from top employer experts on how to fix our broken benefits to save lives, save dollars, and save your talent. Welcome to Broken Benefits. I'm Lee Lewis, uh, excuse me, Lee Lewis, your host, and I'm so excited about today's guest. We are joined today by Mike Adams. Uh, Mike is a luminary and a firebrand in this industry. He has 41 years of benefits experience, five of which were as the chief operating officer of a TPA. He was a, a practice leader uh, in benefits uh, as a consultant for four years with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, I guess they just go by PwC and also 32 years as a top benefits executive at Fortune 100 companies. Uh, during that time, he has done numerous firsts in his career and helped to bring many strategies that we take for granted or are just commonplace today. We're actually founded and started with Mike Adams. So excited to be able to have him teach us. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate being um, here. Yeah, no, absolutely. My, my pleasure. So uh, hopping right in, you are kind of well-known as somebody who pushes the envelope and isn't afraid to push vendors. Would you maybe share a little bit about kind of the way that you approach, uh, the way that you approach your vendors and how you manage them maybe differently than some of your peers? Sure. So first of all, I always try and approach my vendors as partnerships. Whenever you're, whenever you're securing services of someone to, that will touch, you know, the lives of your employees and their families, you want them to have the right the right baseline of understanding and the right relationship. So I approach them as vendor partners and and make sure that they understand fully uh, our vision, our values, uh, our the the way we like to interact with our employees and the kind of experience that our employees that we want them to have. And so in in doing that, that sort of sets the stage with how our partnership will be with them. We lay out expectations. We lay out uh, performance guarantees. We lay out governance of how we're going to manage and track what they're doing. And then also uh, what up, up front beforehand, we define what looks like success and what looks like failure. And I think that's really important to understand when hiring your vendor partners, what does success look like and what does failure look like? Hey, everyone. Now for a quick message from our sponsor. Hey, Dad, have you seen my PlayStation? People who work for companies just like yours are desperate for any way to pay their medical debt. Support your employees by giving them 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. Now, I would say that most people, if I talk to them, are going to say, yeah, I, I consider them partners. I'm good friends with, you know, my account reps at the PBM or the carrier. And I, you know, and I always go out to dinner at the conferences with the point solutions I'm, I'm working with. Tell me the difference between being nice and being a good partner. Like yeah. how do I have tough, yeah. cause you have tough conversations with vendors and 
I think that is very important distinction between I, the yeah. way I might approach a partnership. I think there's a difference in between in between being a social partner and a business partner. And I consider them a business partner. And and one, I like to keep it all business. And and I think that it's important to understand that 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 one, we want to invest in them as a vendor. We want to invest in them uh, getting in front of our employees, their program, servicing our plans. But I make it very clear to them that that Here's what success looks like, and if that doesn't occur, then 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 we'll we'll part our relationship. And I think it's really important because I believe a lot of benefit folks today they have let their objectivity objectivity be skewed by the fact that they're going to baseball games and they're going to to dinner with vendors and they're you know they're they're doing all these things and and they don't want to they don't want to hold them accountable. Uh, I think it's important to be able to hold them accountable. I think I think you I think it's great to be cordial and partner with them, but it's very important to know that one you expect an ROI on their service, and ROI is not return of investment; it's return on investment. And sometimes you have to educate vendors about that. But I think I think having the very difficult uh, but blunt conversations. Here's what we expect from this business relationship and then give them the opportunity to enunciate as a vendor, what do you expect from us as the client from this, from this business relationship? I think that's really important. Teach me how to set up the parameters of success with an insurance carrier. That's the most, the largest, the most important, the most intimidating probably vendor relationship I have as an employer. Sure. I think you start by by one approaching it from the standpoint of uh, the scope of services that they're going to provide for you and the way that they're going to do it. Most, uh, I'm going to say the performance guarantees from from insurance carriers are they're they're really uh, casual at best. Their average speed to answer, their you know you know claims accuracy timing of claims, those kinds of things. What we try and do is we try and base those performance guarantees on and those service level agreements really is what they are on what matters to our employees, what what enhances the employee experience, you know, like being able to resolve their issue on the first or second call, being able to have them so happy with the result that they that their NPS score is, you know, 83, 84% or higher. Uh, having them be so happy with the care they've gotten that they uh, that, that that they're able to resume their their daily life and and that they can then you know be of value to their families and 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 their their companies and their communities. I think that's really important. But also, uh, I think lay out okay here here here's again talking about here's what looks here's what success looks like here. And, and then it all starts with the fundamental roles of the carrier and the employer. And, the, and, the, and the, I believe the very first tenet of that relationship needs to be on data. The employer owns their data, period. And, and that, has to be, that has to be a non-negotiable item. Uh, awesome. And, and because your data is your fuel that drives your innovation, 
without the data you have that that's that's the that's your mining equipment for 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 finding the gold that's where you can determine where to what programs to put in how to structure them what what populations to target them uh, to i love that what's a fireable offense what are the kinds of things that what the kinds yeah. of behaviors that maybe i'm putting up with sure. that i shouldn't sure. be sure i think uh, i think a number of things uh, one uh, first of all if they refuse to give you your data mm. as an employer you own that data as a plan sponsor end of story end of discussion it's your data they won't give it to you uh, I, I would I, and I, and i did actually fire a carrier over this if they won't let you plug in certain point solutions and are trying to steer you to their proprietary solutions. I, to me, I think that's another one contingent upon the depth of that, that solution. I'm a best in class guy. When I was at Dean foods, we built an ecosystem of 50 plus point solutions and they were all best in class. And, wow. and now that took, uh, that, that took, that took a bit to uh, accomplish because one, I did have to fire a carrier over it. Okay. Because they wouldn't give me my data. They wouldn't let me do this and this and this for uh, point solutions. They, they, they were just generally uh, being an obstacle. And, and you see, it's, it's my belief with medical care that, that we have to, that, that the employer, the plan sponsor, I, I believe it's important that we recalibrate with our employees. Healthcare has changed. I mean, when I got into the business, it was a $100 deductible indemnity medical plan, 80-20 to 1,000 out of pocket and, and generally a million dollars lifetime max. That was the yeah. standard plan when I got into the business. There was, there was no such thing as a PPO. There were HMOs, a few HMOs, but, but we have so evolved since that point in time. But now employees have got to be engaged in the process. They have to be partners. And, and so we have to to uh, recalibrate healthcare, one, in the mind of employers. How are we gonna mm. offer it differently? How are we going to communicate it differently, fund it differently? How are we going to approach it and sponsor it with employees? How are they gonna use it? They need to, they need to recalibrate how they use it, how they pay for it, uh, how they view it as an employee benefit and a perk. So I, I think those things are important to kind of come together and get a baseline understanding of, of healthcare but then uh, also, as, as we look at kind of some success factors, I think it's very important to look at one, as I said before, it's your data. We want these point solutions. And then I think it's important to have a, govern a strong governance uh, mentality and, and approach with your vendors. Uh, mm -hmm. Understand requirements up front, understand roles and responsibilities, and then have regular checkpoints along the way, month, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever, and probably all of those things to so that you can, both parties can understand, yeah, we're hitting a mark here, we're not hitting a mark there. And so you can sort of, you know, retrace your course if you need to, to, to sort of get back on track. But I think it's, it's, it's very important that, uh, that, that employers understand that, that carriers work for you. Okay, they work for you and that medical care is one of the most, one of the, if not the most, highly valued benefits in corporate America today. Mm. And, but it needs some transformation and it needs, I'm a big fan in treating employees 
like their owners and putting in provisions and plans that allow employees to act like their owners. If this was your business, how would you operate it? And I think that it's always a real basis for success. That's awesome. Now your, your cost trend during kind of, I don't know if we look at a recent tenure that you had at uh, your kind of most recent employer, you had five, six, seven years there. What was your cost trend during that time? Yeah. When I was at Dean Foods where we had built a, a very elaborate ecosystem, uh, our, our negative, our, our healthcare trend was a negative four and a half percent compounded annually. And that was, and that was, that included every strategy that we did. And we did it in such a way where we were able to, over that period of time, enhance benefit to employees, enhance benefits, uh, keep contributions level. And then, and, and then also we, <clears throat> And this is the most important part. We we improve the outcomes and the quality of care to our employees, so they can be productive to to, to their families, to the communities, and, and to the company. So that's amazing. Now, something that you had and did while you were there that I almost never see: your CEO and your executive team all understood what you were doing. They knew that they were getting you know, their stock price was moving up because mm -hmm. you were able to get negative cost trend without mm -hmm. cost shifting, which is almost unheard of in the industry. How did you communicate that up and manage that up to the point where you had that kind of respect in the organization? Yeah, it was moving up until we filed bankruptcy and then it ceased to move up. So, you know, so yeah, that was, that was the milk business. So I started, I started having that dialogue with them before I even joined. And, oh, okay. and I was coming from PwC and I met with a number of, a number of executives, our CEO, our, our board chair, uh, you know, the VP of total rewards, the CHRO. And I said, look, here's, here's, here's the way I plan to do this. And, and I said, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to educate employees on their health status. We're going to give employees the opportunity to improve their health. We're going to partner with them. In, in doing that, we're going to give them resources to, to better manage their health, their health, and we're going to reward them accordingly. And I said, that, that to me is the way you do it. You, you show them and give them the resources to attack disease because you see mm -hmm. disease is the arch enemy of healthcare period. You can't, you right. can't help with accidents. You can't help with lightning strike, mm. but disease is the enemy of healthcare. So you give employees tools to fight the enemy. You, you make them aware of the enemy that's, that's, that's in their life and, and then help them fight it. So I told the executives, I said, look, there, there, are, different, there are different strategies in reducing the company's cost. There, there will be people that say, oh, you know, let's, let's just raise deductibles and coinsurance and co-pays and raise the amount that employees pay for healthcare and, and the company will have less healthcare cost. And, and, and my response was, you know, to them, morons could do that. So don't, I said, if, if that's a strategy you want to take, that's okay. I said, but do us both a favor. Don't hire me because I said, it's not sustainable. What is sustainable right. is, putting what I'm going to call discovery mechanisms in place that 
help employees understand <coughs> their health status, their health status with regards to maybe diabetes or musculoskeletal or cardiovascular, and then giving them solutions and resources to improve their health in those areas and then incent them to do that, to do the right thing, <coughs> disincent them to do to, to not do it when they have the information to do it. So. I love that. Disease is the enemy and we got to attack disease with the right tools. All right, let's, let's shift a little bit. Teach us how to choose the right tools. And also to put it in a little perspective here, you were one of, you were the first major case study that ever existed for a little company nobody had ever heard of called Livongo. You were the first major customer of um, at least one other significant uh, fraud, waste, and abuse vendor that has been gaining significantly recently, SmartLight. And you have, um, you've been connected with and been an advisor on several other companies that were no total nobodies, but are now starting to emerge as you know, major leaders in the industry. I just want to put that context out there. How in the world are you finding all these hidden gems? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I, um, I, I think it's important that, that you use a data-driven approach. We always try to look to understand our data and say, okay, here's the health challenges our employees are having in the area of musculoskeletal or diabetes or cardiovascular or, or, uh, it, it may be in mental and nervous or, or, or other cancer. So we always try to say, okay, here's the top five or six cost drivers in our company. And then let's go after and let's go out to the marketplace and do a multi-source search for really cutting edge solutions. And we would, I would do that in a number of ways. I would do it through uh, the use of influencers like, like, like you, Lee, at, uh, at HTA and, and when you were at your previous firm, uh, my consultants at, at Mercer, um, EHIR, Employee Health Innovation Roundtable, great on innovations. <coughs> Excuse me. You're okay. <coughs> and don't worry, we'll edit out any coughing okay, or anything. So you can, you can take a minute. Okay, good. We'll make that the trailer for the episode. It's just a cough reel. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> you're, you're all good. But I think sourcing from a number of places that are from stakeholders that are that are not the, that, that 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 challenge and and absolutely hate the status quo. I think that's yeah. because you know two of the most dangerous viewpoints that a company can have are this one we've always done it this way and two we've never done it that way before and quite frankly i built my career on the antithesis of both of those statements oh that's that's awesome okay picking the looking for vendors, not only that have a interesting perspective or an interesting solution to a problem you have, but that also have the mentality of changing the status quo. Yes. That they, that they will, that they will challenge customary and, uh, you know, treatment patterns, treatment norms, 
but then also look at uh, meeting a very specific niche in employees' lives around the type of care that they need, the type of dependent support that they need, but also that 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 that, that really challenges conventional um, uh, methods of providing care. I think that's important. This is really interesting. So. When you're, when you're looking at these new firms, you know, I always say new, the new is always the last picked dodgeball. The new sits alone at lunch. Like the new is not popular and needs friends. And you've made a career of finding the good ones and pulling them out of obscurity. How do you do that? If you, you can't check references because yeah. a lot of them don't have any yet, you're going to be their biggest customer if you're if you're good sized and you're trying something new. How is it that you're able to de-risk those when you're when you're interested in a in a concept? Yeah, so I, I think a number of ways. One, I've always worked at companies where the the marketing value of the name was 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 really something they could could sink their teeth into. So I I want want to make sure that it was it was a very uh, appealing opportunity for them. But I would really get to know the company. I would get to know the principals, the leadership. I, I would under, I wanted to understand uh, how they were formed, how they were funded. Uh, I wanted to know who had skin in the game in, in those companies. And then ex- I wanted them to be very, very specific with me about how they can treat that form of illness or disease or provide value to our plan that could, that, that, that really helped me get over any obstacles to hiring them any related to their size or, you know, their, you know, their, their employee count or just their, their vision. And I, and I, and I think it's important that you really met them, but also I, I think it's important that you be willing one to take a calculated risk and that you be willing before you take that calculated risk that you'd be willing to fail. I always, I always have said, if you're going to fail, fail fast and fail hard and then pick yourself up and then replace that vendor and then, and then go to the next one. And I have used that strategy uh, two or three times. Walk us through, maybe I'd love to hear a story of a time, of a time when you, when it did fail and how did you, how did you protect yourself? Cause a lot of people listening and probably thinking, Oh, you know, I might get fired or something like that. Mm-hmm. How do I, how do I engage in this kind of activity while still protect myself? Sure. So I, I think it's important one that you, uh, one, because you, you're more than likely going to be either their only or their first or one of their few, but definitely probably their largest client. And you understand that leverage point. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but I think, I think here is the time when you can really stress that, that you want a partnership with them. And if, that if this is successful, that you'll help them in the marketplace, you know, you'll be a reference check. You'll be, help be a, an evangelist, mm-hmm. a, a, an advocate for them in the, uh, in the marketplace. But I, I mean, I'll give you one example. I had a, uh, I had a, a, a surgical COE company that, uh, that I used that was, that was not successful. And, and, uh, they, 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 they simply could not get it right. Uh, it was not an, in, an inexpensive solution to use. So I just, after a few months, you know, I just decided that it was not going to work, that, that, that success was not going to be achievable. And I, and I, it was really confirmed for me by their, 
kind of giving me operational excuses, excuses that I knew were, were not valid. So I pretty, pretty, pretty quickly fired them after about four or five months and then, mm. and then hired a cutting edge, uh, a cutting edge surgical COE vendor. I love this story. Most people, it's like, eh, if I try something and the vendor doesn't work, I'm just going to dump the strategy, right? Yeah. But you didn't. What made you stick with it where you said, you know what? The strategy is right. The vendor's wrong. And, yeah. and well, I knew the numbers. I, I'd, I'd seen the numbers and, and I knew that, that it's the, it was a situation of right idea wrong execution or wrong vendor. And so we really went to the market and found what we what we determined to be the, the actual right vendor. Because I knew the ROI on a COE, uh, surgical COE was tremendous. And this was in the early days of the surgical COEs. And, and now they're becoming very mainstream. But I think it's really important to understand a, a, lot, of, a lot of benefits folks have this idea of, I call it the field of dreams approach. You know, that movie with Kevin Foster. If you build it, they will come. Right. I think a lot of benefits folks, they have, uh, they have uh, solutionitis. They, they think the more solutions they have, that the more you build, the more you build, the more you put them in, that they will come. Well, that's, right. it's not actually true. Uh, I've always tried to use a very data-driven approach to, to know that, that, this was a solution that we needed based on the data we have. And we used enhanced engagement communication methods to push it out to our employees. We used a system of, of, of alerting our employees, hey, this was a solution that they could benefit from. And, and then a system of incentives and disincentives when they engaged to both try the solution and then to stay engage with the solution that we did that with uh with lavongo we were one of the early adopters of lavongo and we um you know we we offered it to folks that data showed that they were uh they were they were type type two or type one diabetes or at risk for it uh and then we gave them a we we extended that in, that uh, invitation to them <coughs> excuse me if they did not accept we charge them a surcharge on their health insurance. If they did accept, we paid them numerous incentives. One, the program was free. Two, they got an incentive just to simply activate the, the glucometer. They got an incentive to test their blood uh, for the first 30 days and then for the next 60 days. And so they were getting incentives to stay on this program and to manage their diabetes over the next two years. Well, guess what happened? what happened is their health improved and they liked it and they no longer needed the economic reinforcement to do it, that they were, they were able to live their lives more productively, both for their family, for their communities and for the company. And so they, they, uh, they became, became a number of field evangelists for us in the marketplace and, and within their own workplace for the success of these systems. And these solutions. Everyone, now just a quick word from today's sponsor. Lemonade for 50 cents. It's for a good cause. This situation seems terrible, right? Well, what if I told you it actually happened in the United States in 2021? These are the families of people who work for companies just like yours. 
Give your employees 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. You're a guy who's not afraid of disruption. Give me advice on how to manage member disruption, how to mitigate it when it is going to happen, and then how to deal with it when it does. Sure. So I think, I think first of all, I think it's important to always understand um, that you're going to have some sort of disruption. Where is it going to happen? Why is it going to happen? Is it, is it for a, a clinical reason? Is it for a change management reason? Is it for a, Hey, we've always done it this way reason, or we've, or is it because, Hey, we've never done it that way reason. The latter two we can deal with, but you know, I, I think it's important to always know in, in, in corporate life with particularly with benefits that inertia is a very strong force. And so I think it's important to know that we have to, to, to really be overt and aggressive about putting in new programs that are of value that we know will add value to our employees. And then also to, uh, to make sure that, that there are numerous uh, communication modes that we're, that we're marketing that program to them. But then we also put in a system of behavioral and economic incentives to help them help reinforce them stay engaged with that solution. You know, at the end of the day, you cannot, you cannot force people to manage their health. What you can do is get their attention uh, as to the cost of, of not doing it or the value of doing it. And that's what we try to do is to really make them aware of it. And then if they'll, if they'll, if they'll bite on the hook, then we can, we can take them down this path of health improvement and, and then they become an advocate for us. It's almost like you're balancing what I'm hearing from you that is unique is you've got carrots. You make it free for people to do the right thing. You've got sticks. You make it cost disproportionately more if they don't comply. You've got corrals. You sort of lead people through rules-based programs. And then you, and then you inundate that with communications. Mm -hmm as well to make sure people, you know, have a chance to hear and to be aware of things. How do I engage? You, you've worked with populations in rural areas, truck drivers, you were in dairy farm and all kinds of different scenarios, retail. How in the world do we engage populations? Sure. That tough sure. To catch? So I, th I think it's important to understand the dynamics of your population, understand where they are, the urban, metro, rural, understand the care dynamics, and the availability in those in those venues where they live and work, and then and then make sure that's a part of your uh, your your implementation process. Make sure that your uh, your vendor partners understand the dynamics of where your folks work and live. Make sure they know, hey, here's here's a picture of our average population. Here's here's what they do. Here's where they live. Here's you know their average age. Here's here's how much they make. So that they have a really good picture of their average uh, client that's in that program so that they can best really hone in uh, an engagement strategy for, 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 for that person, for that class of people. So, I love that. What do you do to design benefits that people love? How do you make your benefits likable and, and known? Well, First of all, I, I think that it has to be a benefit. It has to, you can't, people can't think of their medical plan and then, you know, 
they, their blood pressure rises. It, it has to it has to deliver good quality care. And I and I I truly believe that if you look at every aspect of your of your program and 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 try and 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 put in strategies that deliver the highest quality care to your employees and their families over time. And you can do that whether it's a PPO plan or a high deductible plan. Uh, I, I think it's important that if you do that, that that and and give them opportunities to engage with point solutions that uh, and and constantly just communicate, engage with them, remind them, give them opportunities for virtual primary care for, you know, for virtual uh, uh, acute care when they've got a kid that's got, uh, you know, strep throat at 11 o'clock on Saturday night, who wants to go to an urgent care uh, situation there and stay there all night? Make sure that they understand how the program works, how it benefits them, what it costs them, and then and then also uh, just the value to their family. I think it's I think it's important that we always stress the value proposition for them. How do we deal with PBMs? Light them up and shoot them. So <laughs> they're they're you know I, I I truly believe that PBMs are representative of one of the most of one of the businesses in in, in our economy that have the most uh, in in depth conflict of interest with that of their clients of any other business that I've ever seen out there. And it's very simple. The more I pay, the more they make. And that's, that's the end of story. And now you even got a pretty good insight on that. Cause you were, you were covering that, that vertical as a consultant for a while. I mean, I was were... at PwC. We did, uh, we did uh, a number of PBM audits. And what I discovered is that there are at least 22 revenue sources for a PBM within a PBM contract. And, and, and some you wouldn't even think, I mean, obviously there's admin fees and discounts and rebates and, 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 and markups and that kind of thing. But there's, there's probably 17 or 18 other more uh, hidden uh, types of revenue sources for PBMs. There is such a uh, such a revolution going on right now between uh, between PBMs and uh, doctors. I know doctors that are they're they're oncologists and they really are no longer oncologists. They're really oncology drug distributors. They make literally seventy to eighty percent of their revenue. Oh my! On distributing infusing oncology drugs to patients. Uh, in their office. And, and there's something, I'm not saying that, that they shouldn't do that. I'm saying that there is, there's a problem when that business model, when profit trumps the quality of care. Wow. <clears throat> what are some of the incentives that are misaligned, kind of like the PBM incentives that people don't realize are there? that, uh, you know, that cause problems or, or other misaligned incentives in the industry? In the PBM industry? Oh, PBM and, and medical carrier, consultants, hospitals. Yeah. So I think we, I think a lot of times in, um, in healthcare, we have become very transactional. And, and I, I think doctors are going through the transition now that stockbrokers went through years ago. 
stock brokers used to be very transactional buy sell stocks and bonds and 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 they have transitioned into a mode of being of being wealth managers and wealth creators uh, i think doctors are now adjusting to the this paradigm of being uh, health managers and health value creators by by the uh, by their their treatment patterns i think the more um, innovative companies are are incenting their doctors for uh, improving the quality of their of their uh, their patients uh, you know the, the problem is doctors today are overworked they uh, they have uh, I, I mean i talk with my doctor quite a bit and he knows what i do and and it's funny he his the practice management company for his practice says that he needs to be able to bill at least a thousand dollars an hour and and so that really drives how much time he has to spend with each uh, patient and can spend. And, and, mm. and it's almost like he's working on commission, if you will. So, uh, and, and I know it frustrates him, but I think that's sort of misaligned incentives. I believe we have to somehow evolve our system into being more health value creation, health improvement and through quality and, and through, uh, and, and through uh, behavioral changes in patients and then also the improvement in, of outcomes, as opposed to just simply uh, transact, transacting, you know, procedures and x-rays and, and, uh, and, and, and writing a prescription when someone comes in, in, the, uh, in the physician's office. If you were to get hired as a, as a benefits leader at a new company and dropped in without, you know, knowing everything about the firm, Talk to me through kind of your tactical playbook of how you would diagnose the problems, find the opportunities and execute and, and assume that it's large sample size. So mm -hmm. everybody kind of has the same problems. Sure. So I, first of all, I'd want to see their data. I'd want to see their healthcare data. I'd nice. want to understand uh, what has worked for them in the past and what hasn't and why uh, I would want to really understand the nature of the business. Cause at the end of the day, HR and benefits folks, they have to be solutions providers to the business and, and, and because then they're not their own little island. And I think that's extremely uh, important. So I would, I would want to understand the data, understand the, the mindset and the nature of the employee. I want to understand about the value proposition that that employer has uh, with their employee. What do they expect? Uh, what are they, uh, what, what's their culture there uh, of, uh, of, of taking care of the employee? And then also, what's what are their business? What's their underlying business uh, about, and how does that affect that dynamic uh, with the employee? Mm -hmm. and, and what's their strategy around enunciating their value proposition to their employees? A lot of companies cannot enunciate or even state, "Here's what our mm -hmm. value proposition is." I think that's important to put a stake in the ground and be able to enunciate that value proposition. So. What's an example of how you'd share that, like? Uh we want to take care. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what are, what are some examples of, of how you might illustrate that? Yeah. So, so one, I think it's very, uh, let's, let's take it around. One of my passions is, uh, is, is diabetes care. Say, look, you know, you, you've got, the data says you've got diabetes. The, the data says your wife has high blood pressure. We want you, we want to offer you these programs to help take care of your, yourselves to be there for your family, to improve your health. And we're willing to partner with you. We're willing to incent you 
to do these things to improve your health. I think it's important to be very uh, crisp in the way you enunciate expectations of employees, uh, how a program will benefit them, but also uh, what are the uh, what, what are the behavioral economics of of action and inaction. I think that's extremely important. I love that. If uh, if somebody you know, hey, this has been great, and I thank you for kind of joining us today. If somebody wanted to reach out to you to to learn a little bit more about you or to get your help with something or or advice, what would be a good place to find you? Sure, uh, you, they can reach out to me on my my personal email address, which is uh, Mike Adams TX at mm-hmm. sbcglobal.net. Or they can call me on my cell phone, my personal cell phone at 469-285-0853. Yeah. Can they find you on LinkedIn as well? I am also on LinkedIn. Yes, I am. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks to the audience for listening. If you found value from this, please send this link to a friend. Help invite others to be able to continue learning. And, uh, you know, Mike, thanks so much. And uh, we'll we'll see you next time on Broken Benefits. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for joining us on Broken Benefits. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, please share today's show with a friend or colleague. It's free to do, and it helps us spread the message to as many people as possible. Until next time.